all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a pathologist, which is fantastic. And I'm here today with my guest, Dr. Gina Jefferson, who is a specialist in head and neck cancer. And we're going to talk all about oral cancer today. Dr. Jefferson is a professor of otolaryngology and head and neck surgery at UMMC. She deals all day, every day with patients who have head and neck cancer. So an otolaryngologist deals with ears, nose, throat, the oral cavity. What do you say, Dr. Jefferson, between what, the brain and the collarbones? Yes. (laughs) All those parts. So today we're going to focus specifically on that part that's inside your mouth, right? Yes. Definitely not the brain. Not the brain. As I'm frequently asked questions we'll that are neurosurgical so. in well, nature. When, when you say head and neck, I mean, the first thing people think is the head, right? I mean, like, the brain. What's That's in your head? But there's a lot of, a lot of, I remember from gross anatomy, there's a lot of complexity in that head. So the brain sends lots of important nerves through the neck to control the face and the mouth and the throat. Yeah, I always respect you folks that deal in the neck, like surgeries in the neck, because there's so much and like, you know, it connects everything to everything. And it's not a lot of space, you know, so, you you know, if there's anything right next to each other, that real estate gets pretty bad. And that's one of the reasons why head and neck cancer really is so, um, has so much morbidity, has so much effect on people's well-being, because there's not much room for a tumor to grow before it really starts causing some severe impairment to a person. That's absolutely right. So um, a lot of the um, real stigma that's associated with oral head and neck cancer is that um, it's associated with significant changes in a patient's quality of life. Just having the cancer impacts how a patient lives, but it With treatment, um, oftentimes the symptoms that a patient has presented with um, don't completely go away because obviously when we're treating an oral head and neck cancer, that in and of itself will also impact the function of the structures in the head and neck. Yeah, and I feel like, um, you know, of course, all all cancers are serious. Um, They take a toll on every patient, both mentally and physically. But, you know, when you have surgery on your abdomen, for example, at the end of the day, you can wear your shirt, right? And people don't see that you have this large scar on your abdomen. They can't tell what's missing from inside you or what's been rerouted or, you know, what's left behind from the cancer and the treatment of the cancer. It's so much harder to hide that when it's on your face, you know, and people stare. You can't help it. Um, You know, so it it just I really feel for patients that have to... um, experience this no one deserves there is as you said stigma there's a stigma behind 
many head and neck cancers, including oral cancer, that these are people who smoked or chewed tobacco, blah, 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 you know, like sort of the the evils of cancer, like lung cancer. But no one deserves to get cancer, no matter what sort. None of us are perfect or don't have any sort of habits that are perhaps um, counterproductive. That's right. Well, so many people don't actually know that tobacco is associated with um, head and neck cancer. And tobacco, unfortunately, is associated with so many bad things um, with respect to cancer alone, not just head and neck cancer, but obviously lung cancer, prostate cancer, colorectal cancer. Tobacco is bad for many reasons, um, but there are other risk factors for oral head and neck cancer. Um, if you think of throat cancer in 2022, you've probably heard about the human papillomavirus. Um, there's a vaccine to help prevent that for um, kids beginning at the age of nine. Very important two-dose vaccine. Um, so viruses can contribute to um, head and neck cancer. Um, there's a thought that um, acid reflux can contribute to certain types of head and neck cancer. Um, but with, with respect to the oral cavity, tobacco is by far and large the biggest um, risk factor. Also excessive use of alcohol. Um, you know, poor dental hygiene. When a patient or a person is not um, performing adequate oral hygiene, your body tries to enter a kind of repair state and your um, the mouth is actually in a chronic state of inflammation trying to repair itself. And that overactivity of the cells contributes to precancerous lesions developing. Um, and that precancer obviously can lead to cancer over time. Absolutely. We're going to get into the basics of it and ways you can avoid getting it. What are the ways that you can alter risk factors? And uh, I hope you guys all learn a lot about this. It's not an uncommon cancer. It's not the most common cancer, but it's particularly in the state of Mississippi. It is a significant cause of cancer. That's right. So nationwide for the last 20 years, the use of tobacco has actually declined significantly. However, in our state, um, the, the use of tobacco has indeed declined, but not to the degree that it has nationwide or even worldwide. And um, there's data that also um, shows that young people in the state of Mississippi are um, frequent users of tobacco beginning oftentimes in middle school. So tobacco cessation, or I'm sorry, tobacco prevention is a real um, issue in our state that contributes to not only cancer, but also other uh, medically related diseases to tobacco. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what is the oral cavity? Because, you know, you cover a a, a, a good swath of the of the body in the head and neck area, but today we're going to concentrate on oral cancer. So, what is defined as the oral cavity, or what's encompassed within oral cancer? Okay, let me take you one step back. So, head and neck cancer is um, cancer that refers to the mouth, the throat, and the voice box. Um, there's other cancers that we treat, but we won't address those today. The oral cavity is essentially your mouth. And so the mouth begins at the lips and then entering inside of the mouth, um, the lining, which is medically re referred to as the mucosa, um, is the site of origin of um, cancerous lesions. So behind the lips, the lining that 
um, surrounds your teeth, um, that encases the jawbone. Um, that is a site of cancer. Um, that's called the gingiva. And then going further back underneath the tongue, called the floor of mouth. That's a subsite of the oral cavity as well. And then the mobile part of your tongue is the um, main part of the oral cavity that experiences um, the development of carcinoma. Then the linings of your cheek on both sides also are part of the oral cavity. And then the roof of your mouth to um, the point of your tonsils or your soft palate also encompasses the mouth anatomy lesson. Look, some people I'm sure just went mobile part of my tongue. What part of my tongue is not mobile? People you think about your tongue like the part you can see, but there's more of it down there. That's right. <laughs> so the the back part of your tongue that's not mobile has the neurovascular structure, so the blood supply to the tongue, the main nerves that help your tongue move are in the back part of your tongue and you can't really pull that out of your mouth. The part that's mobile that you can um stick outside of your lips uh, is the mobile part of the tongue. Some people, it's more mobile than others, I'll tell you. That's absolutely true. I have a son that can pick his nose with his tongue. So on another note, we should do a whole show on that. Weird things people can do I'm with their body. I'm not an expert on that. <laughs> That's not something that you studied. How do people most often present? Like, how do we figure out um, that we have oral cancer? Is it like painful or is there, you know, for different cancers, like, you know, I think about breast cancer, of course, that's my specialty. So, you know, people will find a lump or they'll get picked up in screening, you know, for cancer of the uterus, they might have abnormal bleeding. So how do folks tend to find out that they have oral cancer? So oral cancer frequently begins with a non-healing sore inside of the mouth. And what we tell patients is that anytime you have a lesion that is non-healing for two weeks or more, that's a reason to get it evaluated by um, at least your primary doctor so they can recognize the need to refer you to a specialist of otolaryngology. Uh, you could also develop a, a lump in your neck. And again, if two weeks or more have gone by and the lump that is um, might represent a lymph node that has um, been obstructed by cancer cells because that's the function of a lymph node, um, that's a sign to go get it checked out also. Well, people might get freaked out because we're always feeling lumps in our neck, right? If you have a sore throat, a lot of times you might feel a, a, a lump. So when, when is a lump in the neck more concerning? Um, oftentimes patients will go to their primary doctor with a lump in their neck um, oftentimes associated with an upper respiratory infection, as you just um, indicated. Um, and sometimes the doctor will, will prescribe an antibiotic, and after completion of antibiotics and the lymph node still hasn't resolved, um, is painful, growing, that's a sign to get it further evaluated. Um, other things that might um, be associated with oral head and neck cancer is basically if you have a one-sided or unilateral ear pain, that is more constant in nature rather than comes and goes, um, that often represents a referred pain. The nerve that gives you sensation to your eardrum or your um, ear canal itself both have branches to the mouth and the throat that um, if there's a cancer there can cause a constant one-sided pain, the same side as the lesion that's so interesting. The body's weird, huh? The way things are hooked up. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Anatomy and pathology and biology. We got to put a shout out there. We've got two science girls here in the house, right? So I got to put a shout out there for STEM and for our listeners. 
science is cool for girls. I actually heard uh, Michelle Obama speak a few weeks ago, which was amazing. And she talked about, she felt like if she had known more about science, technology, engineering, and math, the STEM science, you know, the STEM part of education, that she may have gone a different route. But she said when she was in middle school, um, until middle school, she really liked science. But in middle school, the girls started doing writing and things like that. You know, they were like, you know, that was in the boys did math and science and all these things. So just looking at you, Dr. Jefferson, you know, we want to put a plug out there to our listeners who are either uh, women or have daughters or granddaughters, you know, STEM's out there, right? Absolutely. You can do everything that a man can do. Okay, sorry. We are live on MPB Think Radio, and I am talking today to Dr. Gina Jefferson, who is a professor of otolaryngology at UMMC. She is the division director of the Head and Neck Cancer Program within the Department of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery. She specializes in cancer of the head and neck, and today we are talking about oral cancer, so cancer of the mouth which she uh, just explained to us, uh, starts at the lips, ends just before you get to the tonsils, and it's everything in between. We use some cool words like mucosa. I always think of mucosa, it's essentially the skin that isn't your skin, right? So it's like any area that there's like a lining of a cavity, we don't call it skin anymore, we call it mucosa. And that's where the majority of head and neck uh, cancers do arise from. So it's very important to take care of your mucosa, by, first of all, not smoking or using chewing tobacco. And we also want to talk about, so screening. Screening. We have screening for lots of different types of cancer. Is there screening for the oral cavity? Because it's not inside your body, right? You can see kind of what's going on. They don't often look at it. When you look under your tongue, it kind of looks like a weird mollusk or something going on under there. So how do we screen for so, oral cavity cancer. So unlike the breast or the cervix, for example, where there are defined tests to help identify precancerous lesions to treat them and prevent um, development of the actual cancer that's invasive of the surrounding tissues, um, the head and neck does not have a official screening test. Um, a screening test, the purpose of that is to actually identify, again, a precancerous lesion or anything that could become cancer. Um, so head and neck exams um, that would pick up a oral cavity cancer really begin at the dentist office. So the dentist is the primary person that will identify a lesion that's concerning and either biopsy it themselves or send you on to another specialist like myself or my partners can biopsy and evaluate you um, for head and neck cancer. So the dentist will perform a really good exam. My dentist is fantastic at this. Um, Either the hygienist with the dentist in the room will take a piece of gauze, um, examine your mouth, bring your tongue outside of your mouth to look on either side of it, under it. Um, They will distract your lips and feel the inside lining of your lips. Um, They'll examine the roof of your mouth. And they'll even look beyond your oral cavity, oftentimes looking at your tonsils and the back part of your tongue that I mentioned earlier as part of your throat, not your mouth. So every six months when you go to your your dentist for checkups, 
this exam should be taking place. And if it's not, you need to ask them to do it. That's right. It's not subtle. So you should notice that. My dentist also palpates my neck. He feels my neck. Yes. Mm -hmm. Palpation of the neck is also part of that exam. Do we have the same dentist? I don't know. We'll talk about it at the break. But anyway, I have a great dentist. My teacher. (laughs) But um, yeah, so... If you know another reason to have regular checkups to the dentist, right? It's not just about your teeth. And then you also mentioned earlier about that chronic state of inflammation. You know, when you think about the mouth or any sort of uh, the part that interfaces parts of your body that interface the external world to your internal world, there's a constant assault, and that's part of your um, uh, immune system. So you talked about the chronic inflammation that occurs within the mouth. And so things that cause additional inflammation, like poor dental hygiene and things like that, or irritation from having chewing tobacco or whatever, ill-fitting dentures, things like that. Ill-fitting dentures is one. I just wanted to backtrack for a second. Um, Most oral cavity cancer is in fact related to tobacco and or excessive use of alcohol, but there's a subset of patients that have no risk factors that um, will develop oral head and neck cancer. Um, So they should be um, on the, you know, everyone should have in the back of their mind if they have a sore that's not healing inside of their mouth that that needs to get evaluated. Um, Oftentimes I encounter patients who are edentulous, no teeth. Um, and so they don't feel that they need to visit a dentist. Um, so I think that's a misnomer. But if you don't go to the dentist regularly, the exam that I just described your dentist doing, you can also do for yourself at home, just by looking in the mirror, distracting your lips, moving your tongue around, um, passing your finger over and under your tongue, um, are the, the, the ways that you would identify something that's not normal. So you keep saying distracting the lips, and it sounds romantic. Pulling them away yeah, from there your you jaw. Go. So making sure you're looking at all those nooks and crannies, right? If we're just speaking the, the plain language. There's a lot of little crevices and things like that within your mouth. I mean, explore it. Have a look in there. It's interesting. It is. And make sure there's nothing in there that shouldn't be. Because as with all cancers, you'd rather catch a cancer before either before it's cancer or even if it has Uh, progress to cancer at an early stage. So it's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, the empowerment of catching things early. The earlier, the better. better. Yeah. The earlier, the greater the chances of cure. Sir, I know we're going to head a a question off at the pass because I feel like people are going to call. Vaping, Dr. Jefferson. Mm. Is vaping the the safe way to go? Vaping... Vaping, I feel like when I encounter a patient vaping, they're they're using that as a means to um, stop smoking or using tobacco. That is a misnomer. There is no evidence that says that vaping is the way to quit smoking. In fact, the there's an ACT Center, um, ACT, that specializes in smoking cessation. It's a, it's a uh, validated program for both cessation as well as high track record in keeping pa- patients to remain having stopped smoking. Um, they have very successful methods at doing that that are replicated by others throughout the country. So, um, so that's here in Jackson at UMMC. That's Look, we were trailblazers. Jackson Medical Mall, yes. Mm-hmm. But back to vaping, also known as e-cigarettes, kind of attractive because they have different flavors. Don't um, cause your breath to stink all day long. But vaping is um, a chemical that causes irritation of the lining or the mucosa of your mouth once again and can cause a chronic state of inflammation and indeed contribute to the development of precancerous and cancerous lesions. 
Um, not only that, um, it can be a gateway for um, the younger adult or teenager to enter um, the world of using tobacco itself. So vaping is probably something that should be avoided. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of times I know a lot of those uh, vaping products actually have more nicotine or more addictive um, than cigarettes themselves. Well, they're not regulated by the FDA. Mm -hmm. So there's no, um, you know, one vaping device might have more toxins or nicotine in it than another, even made by the same company. So it's just not controlled or regulated in that way. So best to avoid in general. How about gum? Nicotine gum, mm-hmm. that's part of the smoking cessation regimen. There you go. So that's, that's the safer option there, to chew that gum. It's helpful to have that um, kind of administered and discussed with the smoking cessation plan mm-hmm. um, developed at the ACT Center. So there's a specific um, – it helps by having a specific quit date um, and specific things that you can do to help um, with the urges that continue to um, – uh, plague a person when they're trying to quit so that they have a specific means of addressing them so that they don't pick up that cigarette again. Yeah. So it's more than just giving you some gum that that program offers because it, it is very much a behavioral issue as well as a physical addiction. So you have to kind of tackle um, both things at the same time. We've had our friends from the ACT Center on several times. We're yes. overdue for a visit from Dr. Payne. You are. <laughs> it's not just nicotine gum. Obviously, there's Mm -hmm. counseling involved and there's other medical products to help with the cessation. Okay, we're going to go to the phone lines. We have a caller. Doris is calling us from Columbus. Hey, Doris, what's your question? I want you to expound on the the statement you made that you can get oral cancer if you have acid reflux. Well, the symptoms. So oral head and neck cancer, um, not oral cancer per se. Um, Head and neck cancer, as I said earlier, encompasses not just the mouth, but also the throat and the voice box. So moving closer to your esophagus, which sits behind the throat and the um, esophagus. So acid can come up from your stomach um, through your esophagus, which sits behind your throat. And enter your throat and cause irritation of that lining and really um, poorly controlled acid reflux can cause again that chronic state of inflammation that causes changes to the lining that can develop precancerous lesions so that's part of um, the risk associated with uncontrolled acid reflux okay so to control it you need to take medication or So your body makes acid naturally, and it's supposed to. The acid helps maintain the regular bacteria that live within your body. Um, And so you can't get rid of acid. There's medicine to decrease the amount of acid to help you digest your food. That's right. You just need it to stay where it's supposed to be. (laughs) That's right. So there are things you can do to to minimize the acid um, impact on your throat. Um, (laughs) We're not really discussing... um, GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease. But yeah, if you are avoiding eating four to six hours before you lay down, because it takes four to six hours for your body to digest food, it relies upon acid to do that. Um, If you have acid reflux and you have um, noticed certain foods make your symptoms worse, the heartburn a little worse, the 
the bad taste in your mouth a little worse. Um, those are things that you don't have to completely cut out, but just recognizing that they're um, associated with worsening of your symptoms, just, you know, um, use them um, sparingly. Um, Eat them for lunch, <laughs> not before you go to bed. Caffeine yeah. and nicotine both relax the muscle that keeps your stomach acid within the stomach and, and prevents it from refluxing back up into your throat. Um, so if you have to have caffeine like I do, you want to have it earlier in the day. Um, and then um, if you're overweight, that might contribute as well to increased acid reflux. So things that you can do to decrease the acid coming back up. Um, yeah, and of course there are medications, but modifying risk factors are always the best first course of action. Absolutely. So if, if you have acid reflux, you have a possibility of getting, if it's not controlled, of getting cancer of the esophagus. Is that what you were saying? Yes, ma'am. Esophagus and the throat, um, like the voice box the voice in box. that area. Okay. It's that right. chronic irritation of that acid, you know, causing all that inflammation, and it, it's just not healthy for the body to be in that state of inflammation. Okay. Thank you so much for the information. It's a great Here. question. Thank you, Doris. Okie dokie. So we don't want things to be where they're not supposed to be. We don't want acid to come up because, you know, people with acid reflux, and there are a lot of people, it's a common thing to have. You know, you might have a cough, right? A cough at night. That, like you talked about, that bad taste in your mouth, that water brush, whatever they call it. I don't know what water brush is, but I know we learned that in medical school. So uh, kind of a bad taste in your mouth. I think people don't recognize that just because you don't have heartburn per se, mm -hmm. you can still have acid reflux. And sometimes you don't associate the bad taste in your mouth with actual acid coming up. But that's what it is. Um, sometimes you just might feel that your heart's racing. Um, so... Heartburn, per se, might not be your, your actual symptom, but the acid reflux itself can contribute to other um, changes within your esophagus and, in fact, your throat and even linked to voice box cancer. We sometimes have your colleague on, um, Dr. Schweinfurth, and his, his trusty colleague, uh, Josie Alston, to talk about the voice. So speaking of singing, that's another thing that otolaryngologists or ENTs that's right. uh, deal with. Not you per se. That's a different specialty. But certainly if someone has cancer of the voice box. They um, would see us. And the, yeah, they could start having hoarse voice and things like that. You know, there are a lot of things really to pay attention to. Again, the two weeks of hoarseness that don't go away should mm. be evaluated. Two weeks is a good general rule of thumb, really, for anything if it doesn't go away. That's right. Yeah. And what about oral lesions? Um pain versus not pain like is it pain you know we all get those like aphthous ulcers from time to time those really painful they're tiny and they, they hurt and they definitely don't last two weeks but um does what is an ulcer of oral cancer how do you compare that to one like an aphthous ulcer um i think the aphthous ulcer can be alleviated oftentimes with um Warm compresses, oral hygiene, like the baking soda, salt water combo um, mixture. Um, and because it's something that is actively regressing, it's often, um, it's not something patients complain about pain per se. It's uncomfortable, it's large, it's in the way, it goes away. Um, oral cancer, constant, deep-seated pain is what patients typically um, recount to us. 
Um, and then the referred ear pain is something else that I think um, is really annoying to patients because it's, it's not normal to have ear pain as an adult unless you have a cold. So um, those are probably the main things. I think also when a patient presents with a neck mask, which is actually the most common thing a patient will present with, which actually represents advanced disease, um, the neck mass is probably the more uncomfortable thing for many patients just because it's in the way when they sleep, something that they can't um, often uh, get away from with respect to swallowing. So mm. um, the things that they are dealing with all day long um, become bothersome when you have a neck mass. And people tend to get a little more uh, alarmed when a lump in their neck pops up, I mean, you may, first of all, if you're not having re- regular dental checkups and you're not doing oral self exams, you may not even see that you have a lesion inside your mouth, which is why it's so important to have a look in there. Cause you want to see that before the lump in your neck, which as you said, means the cancer has actually spread to That's a lymph right. node in your neck. So you're ob- automatically at a higher stage or a further presentation of the cancer. That's right. I think that patients often think that a lesion inside their mouth is something that maybe they bit their tongue, it's going to heal, and therefore it doesn't represent anything concerning to them because we all bite our tongues, right? But again, two weeks of that not healing is not normal. Mm. If you're not immunosuppressed, it should heal within two weeks. Um, but yeah, it's talking about staging. Um, an early cancer, um, we define as stage one and stage two. Um, the cancer has not spread into lymph nodes. And lymph nodes are basically those little structures spread all throughout your body. The head and neck has probably 40% of the lymph node total volume of your body. Um, but the lymph nodes basically filter the blood supply to a particular region. And when they're filtering cancer cells, sometimes they get clogged and therefore enlarge. And so that's when you start to feel a lump in your neck. Um, So anytime you have a lymph node associated with a cancer, that automatically makes you an advanced stage cancer. And there's other things that make a cancer an advanced stage, but definitely the lymph node is probably the biggest contributor to that. We're talking about oral cancer today with Dr. Gina Jefferson, who is the division director of the Head and Neck Cancer Program at UMMC. And she specializes in not just the resection of cancer or taking cancers out, but also of putting patients back together. You guys do a lot of really awesome things. That's right. um, Because there are a lot of deficits that can occur. I mean, like we talked about earlier, um, if you have a a cancer removed from your jaw or part of your tongue has to come out, I mean, that causes a considerable impairment to the patient. And so you have all of these cool advanced practices to help patients uh, move on and have a good quality of life after those surgeries. So I am fortunate to work with great partners, Lana Jackson and Ann Kane, who we work together. And that's one of the best parts of our specialty. It makes um, work most definitely enjoyable to work with smart people who are also your friends. Um, but we work together to remove cancer and to put a patient back together. What I like to tell patients when we're removing a cancer, if I use my fist as the example, um, we can't just take out my fist if my fist is the cancer. We have to take a rim around it and deep to it to ensure that we've gotten all the cancer cells out um, that we can't see with our naked eye. So oftentimes that leaves a a big hole in layman's terms Mm -hmm. um, that needs to be filled. If you 
remove a significant portion of a patient's tongue, obviously your tongue is important for both speaking and swallowing, initiating your digestion. And so if we've removed the tissue of your tongue and not replaced it, that causes a patient a a great difficulty in doing those things. So while one of us is removing the cancer and solely focused on that, the other is um, beginning the reconstruction by harvesting tissue from somewhere else in the body that we can use to restore the form and function of the structure that we're operating on to remove the cancer. Very cool stuff. And also the the all lady crew, which I love the three head and neck surgeons at UMMC are all women. So that's right. Whatever. Okay, so we're going to go to the phone lines. We have a few callers. We're going to start with Jeremy, who's calling us from Mobile. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, Jeremy. Doing a show, man. Yeah. um, So I've, uh, there's a history of uh, sebaceous cysts in my family. Uh, My my grandfather had golf ball sized things all over his belly uh, in his late years. Um, I. I'm seeing them show up on my back, uh, near my shoulder blades, and right behind my ears since I was about 13 years old. And sometimes they express, sometimes they hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't know, is there, is there a simple solution to this besides just a hot compress, or what do I do? Because yeah. it's really turning into a painful thing. Those can be really painful, and they tend to expand. And yeah, the the areas that you're naming are common areas to have these cysts. What those what these cysts represent, if you look at it, for instance, under the microscope, is a dilation of like that part of the hair follicle where the hair is just coming out through the top of the skin. So that um, gets dilated. It ends up filling with debris, which is essentially like sloughed off skin cells and whatever remnant of the hair. And they can get pretty large and they can rupture um, and, like you said, express if they have a, a what we would call a lumen or an opening at the top. Yeah, you could, like, pop it. You know, we all watch this weird Dr. Pimple Popper videos. We're not supposed to pop things, right? But eventually, you know, sometimes they get so um, um, d- just disruptive to our lifestyle. They're painful. They may not look very nice that they have to be excised. And even when the surgeon takes them out, there's a high likelihood that it will come back because you have to get all of the lining out, et cetera. So, you know, Jeremy, some people use like um, body type scrubs to help exfoliate the area to help those areas from clogging up. But but as you said, you know, you seem to have something that's uh, genetic. This is something that you saw um, in family members. So unfortunately, you probably will um, continue to have these. But, you know, what's really important is to avoid them getting infected. So if you see redness and that could lead to subsequent scarring, you know, to make sure that you're cleaning. Some people use like that Hibiclens soap, which you can get um, at Walgreens or just whatever drugstore over the counter just to keep the surface of the skin clean because the skin is like the oral cavity that we're talking about, kind of a dirty place. Um, I think one of the things to consider, I don't know if there's a family history of skin cancer as well, because there's a syndrome where uh, patients develop sebaceous cysts as well as are predisposed to some skin cancer. So you might visit a dermatologist. Yeah, well, I, and uh, unfortunately, the, the guy I've been going to just recently retired, and uh, the rest of the office staff is not as uh, you know, cool as he was about <laughs> certain things. Um, oh, okay. Well, but uh, I'm, I'm looking for somebody in the area if you uh, have any. 
Oh, I don't know anybody in Mobile, but definitely continue to see a dermatologist and, um, you know, ask them if there are options. Sometimes if you start going to see a new doctor there, they may actually have some uh, fresh ideas. So I don't think it would be a bad thing to go ahead and see someone else. Thank you for your call, Jeremy, and good luck with your cysts. Bummer. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a pathologist, and I'm here today with my very special guest, Dr. Gina Jefferson, who is an otolaryngologist, that is an ENT, and her specialty is head and neck surgery and microvascular reconstruction, which means she can treat your head and neck surgery and then put you back together again so that you're functional and ready to go. She's very fancy. So I'm so happy to have her here today. She's a professor and the director of the entire head and neck cancer division at UMMC here in Jackson, Mississippi. We're going to go right to the phones and talk to our friend Sue, who's calling from Beaumont. Hey, Sue. Hey, how y'all doing? Great. How are you? I'd like to ask y'all a question. Uh, I don't know. I'm an old nurse, you know, and I don't know what they teach in medical school now, but used to, you could go to a doctor and he'd say, he'd start at the top and say, open your mouth and they'd take a, a, you know, a tongue depressor and take a cursory look in your mouth and they'd kind of palpate your throat, palpate your throat and they kind of check your abdomen and everything. Why don't doctors do that anymore? Because you might catch a lot of uh, throat and neck cancer if you just uh, look inside the mouth of a person. <laughs> so I think, as you know, the world of medicine is is different over time, right? There's so many subspecialists. So if you don't have a primary doctor, um, you might miss out on that specific part of the examination of your mouth. Um, but that's where the dentist the dentist comes in. Um, if you are visiting your dentist regularly, that's the person that's likely going to identify a lesion that's concerning earliest, if not you yourself. So um, as I described earlier, you can do a self-examination just by taking your lips, pulling them out, looking in the mirror, um, running your finger over the lining inside of your, your mouth, um, both on top of your tongue, underneath your tongue, um, along your jawline, uh, inside of your cheeks. If you notice any lesion that's been there for two weeks or more, that would be concerning. If you notice a lump in your neck, that would be concerning. I just, I just think that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, any doctor you go to, I don't care if you've got a hangnail, <laughs> if you go to a doctor, and he's a nurse, is that not a nurse practitioner, a doctor, and, and, and they are a medical doctor, it would behoove them. A lot of people don't know enough. If they see some lesion in their mouth, they not, might, might not pay much attention to it. But um, they might just think it's a canker sore or something. But a, do- a physician can say, say, ah, and look at that, take a quick look in there. If they see anything suspicious, then they can send you on to a specialist. That's the way I look at it. I mean, they, they could catch a lot of, I think, of first-degree uh, uh, problems in the mouth and throat if they just take a quick look inside. That's a great point, You're Sue. absolutely right. But we also don't want to take too quick of a look. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for your question and for your comments. But, you know, we want to have a nice, thorough exam. So if you go to the doctor and you stick out your tongue and say, ah, with the tongue depressor, and that's it, know that you did not have that proper oral exam like we talked about earlier and like Dr. Jefferson just talked again. I want to ask you, when you're feeling with your finger, are you just moving stuff out the way? Or are you feeling for something in particular? You're feeling for something in particular. You're feeling for a lump or a nodule underneath the surface, the lining. Uh, sometimes you can have a, a cancer 
obviously underneath the lining or the surface of your tongue or the floor of the mouth, for example, or even lodged within the uh, cheek from the lining on the outside, your skin, and inside the mucosa or lining of your mouth. So you're just palpating for anything that moves underneath. It's like so many things, like a breast exam or any sort of exam. If you get a good feel for what normal feels like, then it's really valuable for when eventually, unfortunately, if you were to find something abnormal, because you're very familiar with your body and the way that it looks and feels. So again, thanks for your comments, Sue. We're going to stay on the phone lines and talk to Grayland, who's calling us from Little Rock. Hey, Grayland, what a fancy name. Hey. Oh, well, I got, I when can you start talking? Yeah, my old man. Well, are you seeing your doctor? When were you treated? About six months ago. Um, so it's hard for me to answer that question without having been um, the person that evaluated you and helped diagnose you and you know, develop your cancer stage or even just see you. So I'm sorry that you're going through this. Are you finished with treatment? Yeah. So oftentimes after treatment's all finished, um, patients are entered into programs for rehabilitation. Oftentimes that involves work with a speech language pathologist for both speaking um, their name gives them a misnomer because they're um, really engaged in patients' ability to swallow as well. So um, you might ask for a referral to your speech-language pathologist. Speech-language. Mm-hmm. The speech pathologist, that's right. Speech pathologist, thank you. You're, You're welcome. very welcome, and best of luck to you, Grayland. Good luck to thank you. you. Well, that's a great example. You know, we take a lot of things for granted, being able to swallow being able to speak and communicate with others, you know, and um, it's a great reason to be uh, grateful to be able to have these functions and capacities to, to be able to do because, uh, you know, we just don't realize how valuable all those things are and, you know, often in, until there's an issue and you're not able to do them. That's right. I know, right? So it is a long road um, for patients with any type of cancer, but like we heard from uh, Mr. Grayland with uh, throat cancers and that affects your voice box and speech can be regained, correct? Speech is often regained, yes. It takes a highly motivated patient, depending on the stage of the cancer, um, to work with a speech language pathologist to really regain function, but it's definitely achievable. Yeah, because like anything, I mean, there are muscles. It's such a complex structure within just to create a voice. Right. And so kind of having to train yourself um, to be able to do that again. That's right. Even when we take out the voice box surgically, um, patients can regain um, what we call a laryngeal voice um, by reconstruction methods. So um, their voice sounds um, pretty much like them, just deeper because their vocal cords are gone um, and your vocal cords obviously modify your pitch. Oh. So I think the moral of the story is, as usual, try to catch your uh, lesions early. Be very aware of your body and any sorts of abnormalities. And that there is light at the end of the tunnel and there are lots of treatment options for those people that actually have issues. Today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by Jay White. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and funding is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from our listeners on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.